Have you ever been lost? Uh, Elise, my daughter, and uh, her friend Jess just returned from Tasmania. They went walking to Winegrass Bay, uh, but they took a wrong turn and ended up walking 10 kilometres more than they should have. That's geographically lost, but there are other sorts of lost, aren't there? To be lost is to be somewhere you're not supposed to be or to be someone you're not supposed to be. Lost is a 40-year-old man, happily married with two beautiful children. Life is set, future assured, but work consumes him, his career begins to define him, he grows apart from his wife, his kids grow up without him, Then he comes home from work one night to find the house empty. They're they're gone and he never saw it coming. He's lost. Uh, Lost is the respectable middle class mother and housewife. She spent the last 20 years trying to please everybody else, trying to meet the expectations of her emotionally distant husband, judgmental mother-in-law, ungrateful children. Her friends are simply acquaintances Uh, she has to impress or compete with. Nobody knows her. Nobody notices her. She's lost. Uh, We could paint a thousand pictures and each one will be different. Each one would describe someone who's lost, who's not where they're supposed to be, not where they want to be. The world's full of lost people. Do you believe that? Do you notice them? The world is full of lost people. Most of the time nobody cares and nobody notices. We all have enough problems of our own. Lost people just like these are coming to Jesus because they saw in him someone who did care. But not only someone who cared, someone who could find them a way out. A way to move from lostness to wholeness. He was offering a way to move from life where it shouldn't be to life the way it was designed. Chapter 14, he's been talking about entering through the narrow door, about the need to love him more than family, about taking up a cross to follow him, to move uh, from lostness to foundness by following Jesus. And then he finishes chapter 14. Have a look at the last words he says in chapter 14. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And look who takes up the offer. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. The lost. The people who recognise they're not where they want to be and who want to do something about it and they come to Jesus for answers. It's wonderful, isn't it? But not to the people from verse 2, the people who don't want anything to do with the lost. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, complained, grumbled. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. People that lost don't deserve to be found, they need to be avoided, not helped. They're worthless. Just stick with found people. But Jesus had the opposite attitude. He's hearing them. He's guiding the lost. He's welcoming them, eating with them, loving them, 
just like his father. And so he tells a story, three stories, each one about God and his desire for lost people and especially the joy the father has when they're found. In the first story, he's the shepherd. Jesus borrowed it from the Old Testament, places like Ezekiel 34, where God is the shepherd over his people, Israel. He guides and provides for them. But then he rescues them when they're lost. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they're scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. That's God the Father. And as Jesus tells his story, we see how much God loves these sheep, right down to each individual one. He's even willing to risk the safety of the 99. It doesn't make economic sense. It doesn't make any sort of business sense. It makes sense though if you love that sheep and no matter how far that sheep strays, God the shepherd keeps chasing it until he rescues it. And when he finds it, he doesn't whistle and expect the sheep to follow. He doesn't rouse on the sheep. The sheep's probably injured or frightened or exhausted. He picks the sheep up and puts it on his shoulders This is no halfway rescue. It's no let's meet in the middle rescue. It's no you try your hardest to work your way to God and then he'll chip in the rest. (laughs) This is God the shepherd who rescues thoroughly and completely, who searches out and hoists and carries home. That's the first story. In the second story, God searches carefully. He's the woman who's lost her coin. One out of ten. The coin was easily lost, maybe even easily replaced. But for this woman, the house was turned upside down until she finds it. There was no lifting a few cushions here or there. This was a mummy look. It wasn't just a little boy look. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house carefully. She goes over everything with a fine-tooth comb. She's thorough and painstaking and systematic until eventually there it is. God searches for us like that. Maybe you didn't need finding quite like that, but some people are so well hidden from God they think he will never find them. They're so proud so hardened to God in their intellectualism or their humanism or maybe they're so willful and so hardened and twisted in their sinfulness or maybe they're so stubborn and set in their ways in their personality or maybe they're from a culture or a country or a language so far from Christians or maybe they're just Aussies who are so attached to power and money and significance and independence and projects and family that God's not even on their agenda. 
or maybe they're just so happy or fulfilled or complete that they don't see any, they don't see any need. They're so well hidden and yet time and again God manages to find people just like that. Just like that. And it's a miracle. We're talking at Bible study home group Friday night about how miracles like that just bring tears to your eyes. God rescues thoroughly. He searches carefully. Uh, third, in the third story, we see that God waits patiently and forgives completely. He waits patiently and he forgives completely. That's the story of the two sons. Despite the younger son's rejection of him, despite wishing him dead, despite the passing of months or years, the father waits patiently, sitting on the veranda, peering down the road, eager, expectant. Until one day the son comes to his senses, verse 17, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Don't make me a son. I don't deserve to be a son. Just, Just make me a servant. And he shamefully trudges home. He expects the worst. But instead, verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. How many of the neighbouring homes did he have to run past? How many people who knew the story of the shameful desertion of the son saw him running to this son? What would they think? But that meant nothing to the father. So much time had passed, there were so many mistakes had been made, but in an instant it was all forgotten. The wasted inheritance, the insult, the broken relationship. Uh, despite it all, the father waited patiently and then forgave completely. doesn't matter how far you've travelled, doesn't matter how long you've been away or how undeserving you are, Nothing is too great. No barrier is too great. Your Heavenly Father will always wait patiently and forgive completely. But, but why? What is it that we get from these stories that teaches us about God's motivation? What do we learn about his motivation? Why would he behave like this towards wicked, sinful, rebellious, lost people? Well, the first reason we see is because of the misery of that lostness. Nobody else cares, but God has compassion. He shows mercy. The sheep, the sheep have wandered. Sheep don't set out to be lost. They, they don't intentionally say, right, I want to get as far away from that shepherd as I can. They, how do sheep get lost? They get lost one blade of grass at a time. They get attracted by a something there and then they eat that and then they see something else over there and they eat that and before they know it they're lost and often people are a bit that way they wander, they don't mean to get lost the goal of their 10 year plan was never to wind up divorced or unemployed or broke or drug addicted 
or unconnected from God and his people. That wasn't the goal. They just ended up there. Until one day they realised that they're not where they're supposed to be. How did I end up here? They thought the decisions they were taking were making them happier. But they were actually just leading them further from where they wanted to be and then now they're lost. Lost people are like wandering sheep and, and God wants to rescue them from that misery. They're not just miserable, they're helpless. Just like a coin. Once a coin falls down the back of the bed or between the cushions, that's where it stays. There's no clawing its way back up to the surface. They don't find their way home like a dog. The only way a coin will be found is to be rescued for someone else to do it. And that's us. We're like a coin. We're helpless in our lostness. That's why God wants to find us, because we're helpless. We're dead in our sins until he opens our eyes, until he gives us the gift of faith to trust him. We're like someone who's stuck in a car wreck, teetering on the edge of a cliff. Any sudden movement will send the car crashing onto the rocks below. Every effort we make to wiggle ourselves out just moves the car closer to destruction. Every self-righteous good work, every good intention, every self-serving donation, every turning over a new leaf, every New Year's resolution wiggles us closer to the edge. Until we realise that the only thing we can do is to keep perfectly still and trust ourselves into the hands of a rescuer. And he attaches the winch and he drags us back from the edge and God through Jesus rescues us from death and hell and darkness and then brings us into life and foundness and relationship and light and freedom. All of him and none of us. Lost people are like coins, helpless and hopeless. That's why God wants to rescue them. Thirdly, we see that lost people are willful and foolish, like the sun. They're willful and foolish. The sun had everything he needed, but it wasn't enough. He wanted independence rather than dependence. In our third story, every step away from home was a deliberate slap in the face to his father. Every dollar spent, a conscious attempt to make his father irrelevant. And there are people out there who know very well what they're doing to God. They couldn't care less. They're not atheists, they they know what they're doing is against God, but they do it anyway. That's foolishness to ignore your creator and judge. Foolishness like the son who'd rather eat pig's food than work as a slave in his father's house. It makes sense. But it's from that sort of attitude that God rescues us. God wants to rescue us because of 
how bad our situation is. The second reason God rescues us is the joy he has when he finds us. Do you notice that common theme in each story, the joy? The shepherd rejoices with his friends and neighbours, I've found my lost sheep. The woman finds her coin and so she calls her neighbours in and says, I've found it, rejoice with me. And the father says to the servants, quick, bring the, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He's lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. It's the same with God when he finds lost people. Those incredible verses. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Remember he's telling the story to these grumbling Pharisees? They don't think they need to repent. They think God rejoices in them and in their legalism. But Jesus says God rejoices in more in one of these repenting tax collectors and sinners sitting at Jesus' feet than he does in 99 grumbling Pharisees. It's the same thing in verse 10. God and the angels throw a party when a sinner repents. There's nothing God enjoys more than seeing people become friends with him. There's nothing God enjoys more. Does it mean that much to us that someone becomes a Christian? For those self-righteous grumbling Pharisees, they thought the lost were an inconvenience to to avoid rather than a salvation to celebrate. An inconvenience to avoid rather than a salvation to celebrate. They thought God would rejoice when those sinners were destroyed, not saved. But Jesus' point is the opposite. William Barclay says, God is kinder than men. Men may condemn, but not God. Men may give up hope of the sinner, but not God. It's a thousand times easier to come back to God than to come home to the bleak criticism of men. God rejoices when sinners are saved. Notice too the key to that joy, repentance. More rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, who recognises that they're lost and comes, turns around and comes home, just like the prodigal son. Is that something you need to do? Do you need to recognise your loss? Do you need to make a U-turn and come back? Do it today. You may even hear the party start in heaven. And yet that's not the end of the story, is it? Because there's a sting in this tale. There's still another son, the older son, the one who's been with the father longer than the the straying son 
And of course, it's his attitude Jesus wants those Pharisees to learn from. His first mistake was his relationship to his father. He wasn't celebrating it. For him, if he had to describe his relationship with his father, it would be slavery rather than sonship. Verse 29, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Life following the rules of his father were more to be endured than enjoyed. It was about slavery and bitterness and resentment, about jealousy and envy at others. Are you ever like that? Are you ever jealous of non-Christians a little bit, at the sort of life they get to lead? There was no rejoicing in the son's relationship. All these years, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate it with my friends. He was scorning his father as miserly and stingy, not willing to give him good things. Do you ever think of your heavenly father like that? The oldest son's first mistake was his relationship with his father. The second one was his relationship with his brother. He didn't rejoice. He wouldn't even refer to him as his brother. This son of yours is no brother of mine. But the father's joy is so infectious he wants to include the oldest son as well. My son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. And that's Jesus' message to the Pharisees, isn't it? This brother of yours, he was dead but now they're alive. You, You should be in here rejoicing with me. You should be receiving them as brothers not dismissing them as inconveniences. Do you ever presume to decide the sorts of people who are welcome? Do you you judge who's acceptable and unacceptable? Who made you the gatekeeper for God's sheep pen? Who made you? Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. Who are you to not welcome and include certain types of people? And Jesus leaves the story unfinished, doesn't he? The the question is hanging. The story finishes with the older son still outside. There's no party for him. We don't find out how he decides what his answer is, what his choice is. And that's Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees. He leaves the ending up to them to write. And so it's the same with you. How will it end for you? Do you have a heart for the lost like your father? Will you work hard to rescue them like a shepherd? Will you persist in searching for them like the woman for the coin? Will you patiently wait and completely forgive like the father? Will you party and celebrate when God rescues lost people? 
So here's the question, do you have a heart for the lost like your father? Let's pray. Now Heavenly Father, help us to see the lost the way you do, help us to love them the way you do and teach us how to seek and search and rescue and love and wait for them as you do, as Jesus does, for your glory. Amen.